You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. All right. Thank, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. To all the women out there, it's just uh, we celebrate moms and we celebrate all the women, especially the women in our church who do so much for not only the staff here, but for a lot of different people in our church. So we're just blessed by just the... The great women that uh, are in our church, and, and thank you. So have a great day today. We should uh, honor all the women in our lives. And so I'm thankful. You know, my, my wife sat down in Florida with, with her daughter, and they're celebrating Mother's Day together. So it's kind of a great thing. A uh, couple things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw at you today. And one of them is, what are we beholding? Beholding, as I was reminded again today, not only from the Holy Spirit, but is that it's about looking. And when we talk about looking, it's what are we looking upon. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks and you talk about Pastor, what Pastor Jeff has been preaching on, he's been preaching about, it's not a list of do's and don'ts and rules that we try to keep. It's about looking unto Jesus and beholding him and what he's done for us. I have a great, great pastor that I like to listen to, Joseph Prince, and he always says, and even Mark Hanks, another pastor, he always says it's not about do, do, do. It's about what's been done, done, done. And when you get a revelation of what's been done through you through Christ, the do's will line up. When we try to just do and do and try harder, that's when we fail because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And so... The Bible has many great stories about people who lived or died depending on what they looked unto. Look at the Old Testament. There was kings. There was judges. There was different people that when they followed after God and they looked to him for their wisdom and their strength, they did great and mighty things. They just followed and believed what God had for them. But there's also a lot of other people in the Bible too that if you look at different judges, kings, and different people like that, when they looked to themselves for strength, Looked at other people who, may, who didn't, have a, had, had, didn't have godly wisdom. They worshiped false gods with a small g. Many of them became wicked. And many of them, if not all of them, failed. And so when we look unto God, it, it, we can see how he supplies, how he does all these things. And you can, we're going to look through some scriptures today that talk about, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, about looking to God. And, and the persons, even the persons that, that God had put in our in our lives. So let me ask these questions. What are you looking at? What are you looking unto? What are we beholding? What have we been believing? And even just as importantly, what have we been confessing? I'm going to remind you, this isn't a lecture about don'ts. Because everybody, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, have a list of don'ts. We know right from wrong. This is about a list and this is about a sermon about what's been done for us. And when we behold that, the things are going to turn around mightily for us. It's a reminder of what God does, God and Jesus have done, and so focus on that. Another question is, how do you see God? How do you relate to God? Is he, in your eyes, a taskmaster? Is he a tyrant? Is he a loving father? If you have the wrong perception of God, you're going to look to him and, and think that he's always mad at you, or he can't use you. But if you see him as a loving father that you can run to, you're going to be able to get to him and go back to him every time we fail. 
Two scriptures I've been standing on, and they're going to be up on the board, up on the screens, but they're also in your bulletin as well if you picked one up. Numbers 21, 4 through 9, and John 3, 14 through 15. And these scriptures are forever linked because when you read John 3, 14 through 15, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is a religious teacher that has come to ask him some questions, Jesus refers in verse 14 right back to this scripture. He points him to it. And so we're going to talk about that. And the book of Numbers, if you, is, if you read what the Hebrew meaning says, it means be midbar, which means in the desert of. So in the, the book of Numbers, you're going to talk about people wandering around for some 38 odd years because the book of Numbers was written about 14 months after they'd crossed through the Red Sea. It says in chapter 1 that on the second month of the second year is when this, when this began. And so there was about a 14-month period. So when, when God led the, the Israelites through the Red Sea, that they still began to moan and complain. They looked to their circumstances. They looked to their situation. They looked everywhere but to God. And they even called God out. And so we're going to read some of this stuff here. And remember, these are people who God had redeemed from slavery. Just like you, if you're a believer, God has already redeemed you. Redemption means basically to buy back. You take your cans to Hy-Vee, you're going to get money for that, right? You get something in return. And that's what redemption means. So numbers, let's just start numbers 21, 4 through 9. We'll read through that. Um, then they journeyed, this is verse 4, from Mount Or, this is the Israelites, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. If you know anything about the spirit, soul, and body, is that our spirits, if we're Christians are 100% just like God. It's our soul, which is our mind, and our body, which needs some training up through the God's word and through some prayer. And so their soul became very discouraged on the way. Their mind was not right. Their bodies weren't right. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Bad idea, right? What are we speaking out of our mouth? Are we speaking the things of God? Or are we speaking the opposite of God? And Moses was a savior to them. He wasn't the Savior, but he was a Savior at the time. So they're speaking bad about Moses too. And they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, you didn't die in the desert. You didn't die in the Red Sea. So now all of a sudden they think they're going to die in the wilderness. So they just got a bad, bad idea of who God is. And then he says, there's no food in the water. And our soul, once again, loathes this worthless bread. Apparently this bread was keeping them alive, but somehow now it became worthless. So they're just moaning, aren't they? Murmuring, complaining. This is kind of what the book of Numbers talks about. These, these people were ungrateful. So the Lord sent some fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So what is, he call, what is death? It's a curse, right? And so it's not something good, and so people died. And the snake, if you look in Genesis 3.14, was the first, first thing that, in the Bible that was cursed. And it represents death. And God, and God operated this way in the Old Testament with these people. They, they didn't have this personal relationship with God because Adam and Eve had blown it. And so he was, they were always complaining, they are always moaning, and he dealt with them in harsh ways at times. So what happens, these people are getting bitten by snakes, and they're dying. They go to Moses, and they ask him to pray. He says, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. They realized once again what they'd done wrong. They said, pray to God or pray to the Lord that he would take these snakes away. 
And so Moses prayed for the people. So Moses intercedes on behalf of the people once again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, made it out of bronze, and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks or they look at it, shall live. Okay? So God gives them a way out. He doesn't, he doesn't remove the snakes from their midst. He just says, if you get bit, you simply look to the snake on the pole and you'll live. So it's us, right? We're born into sin. We're bitten by sin, thanks to Adam and Eve. And our, own, own, our only remedy is to look to the cross of Christ and beyond for our remedy. Simple. There's no other way to, to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Simply look unto him. And so when the Lord, then the Lord made the snake, and, they, and so they looked and they lived. And I wrote this down. It says, bitten people who are faced with death, death must look to what God has provided. Do you see the foreshadowing of Jesus? He was going to provide a Savior, right? And so now that he's provided a Savior, anything that we want to do throughout, in, throughout salvation is always look to what God has already provided. You don't need to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your, to become your Savior if you're already saved. You, you call upon him in the midst of your salvation. That's part of walking out your salvation, always going to the Father. And so all those people that were bit, they looked at what God provided, and they were saved, right? So if we go jump ahead to John 3, 14, this is where Jesus referenced himself back to this scripture. He's telling the people, or Nicodemus in chapter 3, 14, that he says that he must be lifted up just like the snake was lifted up. He's basically saying, I must become a curse to remove the curse. If you read through the New Testament, you read through, read through Galatians 13, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? A curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, it says in the NIV, or the rest, most translations say on a tree. So he's saying, I must take death, I must take the curse, I must take sickness, I must take all this to the cross with me. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in Galatians, that Jesus did this for us. That he became a curse. So when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's basically saying, I'm going to be like the snake in the wilderness. I'm going to be that curse on a pole. That's saying Galatians, that everybody that is hung on a tree or hung on a pole is cursed. And so the only way to get the curse removed from us is someone must have stepped in and take it away from us. And that was Jesus, right? So when Jesus went to the cross and he died, they took him off, they put him in the tomb. He was dead. Goes into hell, takes authority back from, from, the, from the enemy, comes back on earth, walks earth for 40 days, ascends into heaven. There it goes, with Jesus on his body, so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. Like in Deuteronomy 28, if you go back to the Old Testament teaching, it talks about in the first 16 or 14 verses of Deuteronomy, if you keep all these commands, you're going to be blessed. But if you fail, you're going to be cursed, right? So when you look at all those curses there in Deuteronomy 28, Jesus took all those to the cross with him. And so you got to understand that Jesus said, just as those who looked in faith to the snake in the wilderness were healed or set free, so those who look in faith to the lifted up son of man will be healed, will be set free from the curse, which is death. He talks about that in John, in John 8, 52. He says, uh, 
excuse me, 8.25. He says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father says. He also says that in John, uh, in 12 too. In 12, uh, 32. But I, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So here's the thing. Jesus says you're going to look to him on the cross. And then Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up and raised up into heaven. And so, and then we behold that. That risen son of the Christ at the right hand of the Father. So all who look to him in faith, with true faith, will be set free. He goes on to say that in verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we get to John 3.16, which is probably the most, one of the most famous Bible verses that we all remember. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He says it right in verse 15, eternal life. If you read John 17.3, says, it says, eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus who he sent. Right? That's eternal life. Once you confess Jesus Lord of your life, you know God. And when you know God, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere, right? We get to pick. There's not some select few of us out here that some people try to claim that there's only a select few that are going to get into heaven. He says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever, it says in the King James, right? I like to say, be a whosoever. Be someone who's going to be that whosoever. And so as we go forward on that, we're looking at, back in, in Numbers, they raise up a pole with a snake on it. Whoever looks to him, saved. And Jesus says, I'm going to be just like that snake on the pole. And when I'm going to be raised up, and whoever looks unto me is going to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from the curse. So, and that's what Pastor Jeff had been preaching about. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts we focus on. It's about beholding, looking, and living for Christ. I like how A.W. Pink, who is a, Great comment, had, writes great commentary. And he wrote this in the ex, exposition of the Gospel of John. And he wrote this little, uh, little piece, and I'll read it for you. It's probably a little bit spread out on your sheet but, or on the, on the screen. But he says this. You see, everything began with a look. Man became a lost sinner by a look. He says, in the like manner, the lost sinners are saved by a look. The Christian life begins by looking. He goes on to say the Christian life continues by looking. And at the end of the Christian life, we're still looking for Christ. And he says, from the first to the last, the one thing required is looking to God's Son. And he backs it up with Scripture. And the first Scripture he says about how we got lost by a look is if you look to Genesis 3, 6. I think it's up on the board. It said, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So think about that. The woman saw. It looked good to her eyes. She desired it after that. Well, who told her it was going to be good for? God or the snake, who was the enemy, right? And so the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and right from the beginning... God says, you got this perfect place. I got the whole run of the place for you except this one little tree or big tree. We don't know how big it is, right? Stay away from that. Everything else is yours. You have complete authority. You and I are on the same page. We have a relationship. And she gets a thought. 
She takes a look, and from there she falls. I, taught, I, I, I read this scripture in youth group this week, and one of the young kids said, uh, well, it was all the man's fault. Or, or, or excuse me, he says, it's all the woman's fault. It's all Eve's fault. We didn't have, the man didn't have nothing to do with it, right? And all these girls were like, huh, what? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, no, because God put Adam in a place of authority first. And Eve comes alongside to be his helpmate, and they're supposed to be helping each other. So Eve comes and says something about the opposite of God said, and Adam should have said, no, we shouldn't do that. God said this. But he goes, just goes, okay, I'm in. You know? And then we, and there's your fall. So we can't blame it on Eve. We can't blame it on Adam. We blame it on both of them, right? But the thing is, it was the enemy who came and put thoughts in their head. God doesn't put thoughts in your head that you act on stupidly. It's the enemy. God plants things in your heart that allows you to remove the thoughts of the enemy and live free. So I'm going to go on. I'll go ahead to the next. Uh, I'm going to read these scriptures in, in, in this in whole so we can, we can break it down. And one thing I want you to remember is that sin conscious people, people who are always looking to their sin or the sins of other people, will always leave their position of sonship and return to their sin. Not in the spirit, but in your flesh, in your mind, in your body, right? And it's the Jesus conscious people who will be able to leave their sin because we all sin and fall short and return to the following because, because they know they are set free and safe. See, that's, that's it. When you know that you know that you're a child of God, that you're going to not be able to get caught up in condemnation and guilt and you can go back to the Father because he's a loving Father, correct? And so, in Genesis 3, it says, when the woman saw the tree was good, and to the eyes, right? We talked about this. She desired what she saw. And you realize that Adam and Eve were on the same playing field with God. I just, I just talked to that. They were, you know, just before they sinned, God was coming to, to, to meet with them. It says later in, in, in Genesis 3 that he came to walk with them in the cool of the night. He had a relationship with them. But when he got there this time, they had messed up. And do you know who the first person that was, or not person, the first thing that was ever cursed in the Bible? Genesis 3.14. The snake. He says, you've done this. You're cursed. So when you look at the pole that Moses sets up, these people, if they know what happened in Genesis, which a lot of them did, they realize that the snake is a curse. Okay? So it's kind of opposite. Looking to a curse to get saved. And then when he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus in the New Testament Nicodemus is a religious teacher. He knows the whole Old Testament. He realizes that the snake was the one that got Adam and Eve lost, as, and he's the curse, first one cursed. He realizes that these people had to look to a cursed thing on a, on a pole to get set free. And so he's thinking to himself, you're saying to me that, I, you, that Jesus, you need to be like the snake and be a curse? Yes. It says that in, in Galatians 3.13, right? That he took the curse. That he needed to become a curse. That anyone who was hung on a tree is cursed. And so that's what you need to understand. When Jesus went to the cross, he took the curse of death, the sickness, all those things, and, and, and he nailed them to the cross with himself so that we could be set free. So it's a perfect example that we need to look to, to Jesus, lift it up on the cross first, that he took all that stuff for us. It's just equally as important to realize that he's no longer on the cross. That he's seated in the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. 
And if Jesus is seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, that's where we're seated as well. We don't, we don't look to God like this. Like, woe is me. You look to God with a renewed spirit. There's many good scriptures that you could talk about and roam about those things. I don't have time to get into them all, but there's some on your sheet that you can look at. But God had a way out of this mess what Adam and Eve caused, right? He sent prophets, and he sent people to speak God's, to speak God's word to the people. You need to look for a Savior. You need to look to me. It's basically what he kept saying to the people. Isaiah 45, 22 is, one of the, is a great scripture to back that up. He says, look to me, this is God, and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Period. I am God, and there is no other. Quit looking to yourself, try to do better. Quit looking to anything else. Just look to me, and we'll get through this together. He says, believe in me, is what he's saying when he says, look into me. There is no other God, no other way to life, no alternate route, no compromise to living heaven on earth except looking to him and being set free. See, the lost sinner was saved by a look, by looking to Christ. That's what he's setting up for us there in Isaiah. So you got people getting off track because of what Adam and Eve did, and we all were sinners born into that. He's saying in Isaiah, I'm a prophet, I'm going to send a Messiah someday, that when you look to him, you'll be set free. But right now, you just look to God, and he's going to help you out. And then it says this in, in Hebrews 12 too. It says, we continue our life in Christ by looking. That's what A.W. Pink said. And what's it say in Hebrews 12 too? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne. A lot of meat in there, isn't there? That's huge for you and me as believers. He says, look to Jesus, who wrote your whole story. He's the author, wrote the book. He's the finisher. He's going to write the last line of your life, which he already did when he said it's finished, that you, we have now have right relationship with God. And he endured the cross, and he despised the shame. So what he said to Nicodemus, that he must be lifted up, basically on a cross. This is what the author of Hebrews is telling us, that he was lifted up on the cross, and he took all that shame and all that guilt and all that punishment. For who? For us. See, the more you behold your place in God's kingdom and your right standing, the more you're going to be able to not get tripped up. And when you do get tripped up, go right back to him. You have to know where you live. Your spirit's 100% perfect. One-third of you is perfect. Think about that. Two-thirds of you, your mind, your body, they need to be renewed to the things of God and, 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 uh, and to God's word. And then you will start lining up to what God has for you. But never forget, though, when you mess up or you sin or you, you totally blow it, that as a believer on the inside of you, you're just like Christ. And that is seated in heavenly places. I don't know about you, but when I got a revelation of that, I was like, I could, I could live again. I could breathe. Because it wasn't about what I was trying to do better. It's about allowing God to work in my life, and then things got better. That's how it works. Acts 16.31 says, and they said, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be what? Saved. Get that over there, Joe? You will be saved if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God said to look at the snake on the pole back there in the wilderness and be saved. And now the writer of Acts is now reminding us of what Jesus did. And believe that, he's saying. That's what he's saying. Believe on that and you will be saved. Remember, this is a time in the New Testament where people going around and trying to undo all that Paul did and all the New Testament believer, teachers were talking about. They would go around behind these guys. They would come and preach Jesus and say, you need to be saved. How do I get saved? Well, just believe what Jesus did for you. He died and rose again. And they'd be like, okay. And they would, they'd get saved and they'd fall after God. And then the New Testament teachers would move on to another town or village and then these old religious teachers would come in behind them and say, no, you have to follow the law. You got to be circumcised. You got to do all these different things and then you'll be saved. And Paul's, and, and Paul's going back and saying, no, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, it was too hard for the Jews to understand that. It was too easy. But it is that easy, isn't it, Mike? It's about belief. It's about faith. It's about what's been done for us. The New Testament is a reminder of what Jesus did. They're not reinventing the wheel in the New Testament. They're just saying, this is what Jesus did for you. Believe on that and you shall be saved. And they're saying, look unto him. Don't look back to your old life. Don't look back to the law. Don't look back to all the rules and regulations. Just focus and behold the Lord Jesus Christ in his risen glory. Because that's what's been planted on the inside of you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, With unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another of glory, or from glory to glory. Think about that. It's saying you're being transformed into the image of who? Your neighbor? Your wife? Your kids? Those may be good things, but he's saying, no, you're being transformed into my image. And, uh, and, and during that transformation, it's not from the pit to the palace and the pit to the palace, the outhouse to the penthouse. Because that's where your mind and your body are going. He's saying, in your spirit, it's from glory to glory. And you get a revelation of that, you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to spend less time in the pit and the outhouse. I'm going to spend more time in the palace and the penthouse. That's where your mind will live. And that's what he's telling you. From glory to glory. Is there anything better than that? It's like if I was on vacation and... Someone gave me a package and I was at this all-inclusive place down in Cancun and it was like five-star meals and all this stuff, right? And I'm there for a week and then the next week the guy says, like, hey, I got this vacation package for you and then he puts me in a dumpster behind the hotel and says, here's your next spot for the week and then he says, okay, then the following week we'll move you back to the penthouse. He'd be like, this is terrible. I want to be in the penthouse. And in your spirit, that's where you live. That's what God's saying. From glory to glory. And that's how God relates to us. When you fail, get this, when you fail, you're still part of the glory realm. You're still part of the kingdom. You don't get booted out. You might think you get booted out. Some Christians sometimes with wrong thinking tell you you've been booted out. Don't do that, please. Point them back to the word. From glory to glory. It's a good question for us here that I wrote down for myself. Do you even realize who you are and what you look like? You look in the mirror in the morning, you're like, yikes. God doesn't see that, right? We've all had those days, you're like, man, what happened? But God never looks at you and says, what happened? Because he's looking at the expressed, expressed image of Jesus Christ when he looks upon your face. That's got to be good news to somebody. 
that God looks at you like he looks at his son Jesus and Jesus is completely perfect. I'm like, man, he... Because he's looking right into my spirit. Because God relates to you and to me spirit to spirit. Thank goodness for that. We take the bag off our head, right? The mask's off, all those things. Because God sees us as perfect. You're not a mess, you're a masterpiece. Think about that. Everyone knows what a masterpiece is, right? If you went and bought one of Picasso's masterpieces, what would it cost you? Millions. Right? Everybody knows what a masterpiece is. It's like the best work that, in, uh, that an artist or, or somebody does. So God's saying, if you're not a mess, but you're a masterpiece, he's saying to you, you're like the best work I've ever done. There's nobody better than you. Ephesians 2.10 in the NLT says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the new things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece because of what we've done on our own? No, because he's created us anew. And he looks at you spirit to spirit. That's how he relates to you. And our citizenship is now in heaven. This is the part where we eagerly await the return of Christ is what, what A.W. Pink was saying. Our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone ever eagerly awaited for somebody? I do all the time. I don't know what you call it, some sort of D-H-O-D-D-C-O-P or whatever, something they call me. <laughs> Someone would try to label me with that. But the point being is, when I, when I come to youth group and I look out the window, I'm looking for the kids to show up. When my, when my wife or my, my, my kids and my grandkids are coming over, I'm looking to the door. When I have Bible study at my house, I'm always eagerly waiting. I want them to come. I'm excited to see them. I'm waiting for their arrival. And what this scripture is saying is because you're citizens in heaven and Jesus is going to return one day, maybe today, right? That'd be a good Mother's Day. Jesus returns. Or he might return at a future date. But either way, we eagerly await his arrival. We're looking to the heaven. We're excited for him. We live our life through Christ because he's set us free. But we're always waiting for his arrival, where we get to rule and reign with him on earth. And another great thing is to realize where your citizenship is. You know, I, I was born in Canada. I was a Canadian citizen my whole life. But somewhere 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, I can't remember now, I got my American citizenship. So now I'm American. The guys at the Christian school, Pastor Jeff's kids and all the other kids there, they call me Canadian. The Canadian's here. And I always say, I'm American. Because this is my place. This is my home. This is where I, I, where I call my home. I'm a citizen of America. When I travel abroad, like if I ever do that, or I've gone to Mexico a couple times, I travel with an American passport. United States of America. When I go back to Canada and visit family, I give them my American passport. Because I'm a citizen. See, that's the way we, you and I are. Because of our relationship with Christ, because of our confession, because of our belief, because we're beholding him, you are now a citizen of heaven. You might have hell on earth sometimes in your life, but that's not where you live. You're a citizen of heaven. And that's, that's the truth. You have to know who you are, what you look like, and where you live. We're just here for a short time. Temporary visa here in America, our citizenship is in heaven. And I get excited, the fact that Jesus is going to come back. So as we look unto Jesus, you need that to get a life, to get saved, right? And you look unto Jesus to help us live our life, and we behold him, and we, and we look for his return. 
So when, if we go back to the, the original scripture with Jesus and, and John and, and, and Moses and, and Numbers, we can finish with this. When you look how Jesus was like a snake in the wilderness, we can learn some things about why we need to be born again and how Jesus provided it all. And this is number one. Because of sin, we saw that in Genesis 3, all people were under the curse of death, correct? Galatians 3.13 says we have been redeemed, bought back from the curse. Number two, God graciously provided the remedy for the curse. What's a remedy? Yeah. A remedy is something, you know, like have you ever had a cough and, and someone says mix some honey and some tea and some Tabasco sauce, like some grandma came up with this remedy, right? And this is going to heal you right up. That's what he's saying. But the remedy is looking unto Christ. Back then it was looking to the snake on the pole. Now it's looking and confessing Christ. And he does this graciously. Key word is gracious. The remedy must be lifted up. Back then, for those for Israelites, the pole had to be raised up with a snake on it and whoever looked upon it was saved. And the remedy for us is the risen son of Christ. Jesus did say it was finished in John 19.30. What did he mean by it was finished? Not only was he finished right there, he says, or in, in death, then he was dying, but he was saying, all those things that have plagued everybody in the past, he's taken them to the cross. He says it's finished. The Old Testament covenant, finished. I came to bring a new covenant, and it's one about a, a relationship with my son, Jesus. Adam and Eve lost it. Jesus bought it back. That's redemption. And we don't have to sit around begging Jesus to come up and show, and show up in our lives all the time. He's already here. He's on the inside of us, and he's passed his authority on to you. That's who he is. Number four, the only thing that cursed people have to do to be healed is look in faith to what God has already provided. That's, a th that's important. So I'll leave you with this. If you believe that, if you can see what God provided throughout the Old Testament, and then he provided Jesus as our perfect sacrifice, and he's provided a way for you to have a relationship with him through our faith in Jesus Christ, we should be speaking those things into our life. The positive, the, the, the great things that God has. We shouldn't be speaking curse and death into our life. I go to the school, even the Christian school, and kids say the craziest thing there. I'm so stupid. I'm this. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm all these things. And I listen to them going, that's not what God says about you. Quit speaking death or curses into your life. Because you know what? It's going to affect your mind at times. And, it's, and you're going to start believing those things. Don't allow anybody to speak anything but the word of God. If you have people in your life that continually speak the opposite of God's word, run. You don't need to be around those people. And if it's your family member, I'm sorry. But you should only be surrounded by people that are going to speak God's word and life into you. Not anything negative. Confess Jesus into your situation and your circumstance. He provided a way through the curse. So let's speak Jesus in our life. You're driving down the road and you hit some black ice and you start doing 360s on the highway. Jesus! Spin you around maybe and send you on your way. Speak those things. I know sometimes people use the word Jesus a lot, but you're at work, they're not using it the way I want you to use it. Right? It's a very important name. It's the name of all names. Jesus. You call on him. Only speak over yourself what God says about you. That's important. 
I've gone through my whole life allowing people to speak into my life before I was a Christian, even after I became a Christian. And a lot of people spoke good things about me. And then I, I allowed those good things to, to build up my head. But all the people spoke negative things about me, and I allowed that to drag you down. You can't get too high on what you believe about yourself, what other people believe about you, and you can't get too low what other people think. You can only get there and believe what God says about you and stand on that. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and behold his glory, and live your life victorious from glory to glory. That is your God-given position in Christ. Amen? Amen. One way that you can just come up and come in agreement with God once again is, is through communion. Communion is an act that, that Jesus, on his last supper with his disciples, said, this is my body given up for you. He was basically saying, remember when I said I was going to have to be raised up? It's coming. And he says that my shed blood is for you as well. It's through my giving up my body and shedding my blood that you will be set free. And so what Jesus said, we should take communion. We should take it daily. And so here's an opportunity for you to come up today and take a cracker and dip it in the juice, which represents his body and the wine that Jesus had back there, and just remind God that I am your son, that I am your daughter, that I am set free, that I am healed. I'm no longer cursed. And you say, thank you, Father God. And you take that, and you go back to your, in your chair, and you, and you worship today. Maybe for some of you, you're going to worship like you never worshiped before. And just knowing that, that God is love, and he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, what he said in John 3, right? And it's through that relationship. And when we behold and look into him and believe him and confess him over our life, that you'll continue to be set free. Salvation is being set free. But as we continue to, to look unto him, your mind, your will, and your emotions will remain free. Amen? All right, Father God, we thank you so much for your great word, Father. And we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to receive you. Father, at this time, as we, we take communion, that we just come and acknowledge and thank you for what you did for us. And it's through your finished work that you set us free. And it's when we look unto you and we behold you and we believe you and we confess you that our mind and our bodies will line up just like our spirit. 100% perfect in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.